0: We're going to uh, continue in our series today, it's uh, called Some Assembly Required, and we've been talking about relationships, a lot about how they function, how to, avoid t- how to avoid dysfunction, how when, like the gears behind me, when things are meshing and they're going well, it's good, and uh, everything's clicking, it's great. When there's a, a monkey wrench thrown into the gears, it can be a problem and a challenge for us, and uh, we're going to continue through the series for a, a little bit longer still, right up to Easter. I was going to today deal with the topic of how to raise kids, how to to manage your kids without committing murder. That was the topic that I had on the agenda to deal with this Sunday, and I've had several of you tell me that you're really looking forward to this because you've been thinking about killing your kids. So I appreciate that, and you might be a little disappointed. I'm not going to go there today. Uh, We'll get there another time. My wife and I have taught seminars on parenting. We love this topic, and it's a passion for ours to help you raise your kids uh, the best you can as a mom and dad who loves Jesus and kids who love the Lord. But Tuesday night, I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep. And sometimes i crash immediately. Sometimes i toss and turn for a long time. And Tuesday night happened to be one of those nights when I'm tossing and turning. And I've learned in those moments, rather than get frustrated, I just turn it into an opportunity to pray. All right, Lord, I'm here wide awake. And I just start talking uh, uh, quietly, but I, stood, I will pray and just lay there in bed and have a conversation with the Lord until I drift off to sleep. Well, I'm, I'm laying there Tuesday night, and I started to think about some of my nieces and nephews who right now are far from God, and my heart began to literally I ache. I mean, I felt pain for them. Uh, I love my family. I love my nieces and my nephews, and uh, so, several of them right now are, are living a pretty wild life far from what God wants for them. And it breaks my heart. It really does. And then I started to think about some of your kids, some of my friends in this church whose kids are, are in the same place. And all of us, I think at some level have probably had to face the agony of watching someone we love and care about, somebody that we deeply care about, wander away from the faith. We've been there. We've seen people who maybe used to sit here in church with us and used to be a part of our relationship with the church and with God and And they've wandered away. We've all probably wept and struggled over the tragic decisions that some close to us have made. And some of us, like me, uh, we were once the wanderers. We were the ones that were far from God. We were the ones who ran from Him. We were the ones who once believed and chucked all of that. We were the ones who broke our parents' hearts or our spouse's heart or our friends' hearts. I was that guy. And some of us have been there as well. I was once upon a time in a very dark place, far from God And you've been there, so have some of you. And because I've been there and because I have family that that are there now and friends and and some of your kids are there now, today I want to talk about what to do when someone wanders. What do we do when someone wanders from the faith? Whether it's a friend, a child, even a spouse, what can and should we do when they become wanderers who are far from God? And my hope today is that you'll be encouraged. I believe if you open your heart to hear with the Holy Spirit, wants to speak to you, that you won't hear guilt. You won't leave here feeling shamed and beat up. You'll feel, feel encouraged by the Lord. In fact, to that end, I want to pray. I heads somebody pray for you again. Father, I ask you to come and do what I can't do. Open hearts, open eyes, open ears to hear. And shut the voice of the enemy, Lord, and open our ears to your voice, to hear your word and to hear your truth today. And I pray that we would be encouraged by you and encouraged by by the Spirit of God today. And that when we leave here today, we would leave, Lord, knowing that we've had an encounter with you and that we've been changed because of it. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So what do you do when someone wanders? Number one, be the person you want and hope them to be. Be the person that you hope and want them to be. And by that I mean never underestimate the power of being a consistent and a godly role model. Never underestimate the influence that you can have in the life of a friend, a spouse, a coworker, and certainly in the lives of your children. Now, let me quickly insert, you are not perfect. And by the way, your kids, your friends have already figured that out. I hope you have. You're not perfect. And so I am not suggesting that you get all self-righteous and act holier than thou. When I say be a godly role model, by no means do I mean Bible-thump people or just act like you've got your act all together because nobody does. But more than you know... More than we realize, your kids and your friends, your family, they are watching you, and your life will speak volumes to them. You see, when somebody wanders from God, and again, I've been there, so I speak from first-hand experience. When someone wanders from God and from faith, they typically will spend a lot of emotional energy trying to justify their actions. How many of you have failed, made a stupid mistake, and you tried to justify or rationalize it away? Yeah. It's human nature from the very beginning. Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve did it. She made me do it. You know, Eve, the serpent, is his fault. We've been blame shifting from the get-go, from the beginning. It's a part of our human nature. And so when somebody wanders from what they know to be truth, what they know to be the, 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 the word of God and God's intent for them, of course they're going to try to justify it and rationalize it. And they will work very hard to rationalize their rejection of truth and maybe even their rejection of you. It's true that misery loves company. And when they find themselves in a miserable place spiritually or emotionally, they will attempt to soothe their guilt and their shame by pointing at you and by pointing out all your problems. And they're quick to say, you are know, a hypocrite. And the church is full of hypocrites. And they'll go off and just go crazy with all sorts of vile and harsh accusations. Now, let me, in, again, just say this. Don't give them any more ammo. You're not perfect, but it would be good to try to be more like Jesus. And so don't give them any more ammo than they've already got. But what you can do, you can continue to live out your faith before them in a real and genuine way. And those two words, real and genuine, are very important. You can live out your faith in a real and genuine way. And by that, again, I don't mean that you, you pretend to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes what it means is that when you do, notice I didn't say if you do, when you do, let them see godly humility and repentance in your life. If my kids know anything about their dad, they know that he's not perfect, and they know that I'm a really good repenter. Many times as they were growing up, I came to my children, humbled myself and said, Daddy was wrong. I said something mean. I, was, I didn't treat your mama the way I should have treat, treated her. I failed, I blew it, and I've repented I, in humility many times. I've said to my kids, man, I, I, I missed it there. Guys, forgive me. And so when I say be real and genuine in your model of godliness, the best thing you can do is when you blow it, when you fail, own it. Admit it. In fact, just say, you're right, I have. It's pretty disarming when your response to their reaction or to their true or even false accusations, is pretty disarming when you say, you know what, you're absolutely right. I've still got a long ways to grow. God's not finished with me yet. And and, and just turn your attention and theirs to the fact that God's good and God is gracious and how grateful you are for that. Most of you, if you've been around here, you know that when I was in my 20s, I I fell away. I grew up in the church. My daddy was a preacher. I had had been in church all my life. In my early 20s, I fell away from the Lord. And I felt hard. And I was bitter and angry and rejected everything I knew. Everything I'd grown up with. Everything. And I was married. And my wife was like a rock. I don't mean a rock star. I mean she was like an unmovable, committed, faithful, godly woman. And it drove me nuts. At least it did at first. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to drag her down with me. I figured it would somehow you know make me feel better about all oh, my stupid foolish choices if i could just get her to do the same thing if i could just get her to go party with me and get drunk like i was getting and go to the places i was going and do the things i was doing then it would make me feel better about how stupid i was i don't know that i consciously thought that through but i know that's what was going on in my heart but she remained faithful and true and and eventually her faithfulness and her walk with jesus is what drew me back to her and back to god Peter wrote this instruction to wives in 1 Peter 3. If any of your husbands do not believe the word, they're not following Jesus, they're not Christ followers. If any of your husbands do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, listen, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Again, Peter's not suggesting that you're perfect. He knew, knows that's not to be true, and you so do you and so do I. But it's as we try to live in a way that honors God and follow Him and love Him. That that behavior can actually speak more than even our words. Earlier in the same letter in First Peter, in a more general sense, he wrote to all of us. In First Peter 2.12 says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, rightfully or wrongfully, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see, here it is, your honorable behavior. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. People should see in you not a pretend perfection, but honorable behavior that says, I'm doing my best to walk with God and love him with all my heart. And when I fail, I turn my heart to him in humble repentance and admit and own my stuff. But God is so good and so faithful and so kind to me. That's what they ought to see in your life. And when someone you love flips God off and they wander away from the faith, stay true. Stay true. Stay the course in your faith and in your love for the Father because they are watching. Here's the second thing. Number two, trust the seeds that were planted. Trust the seeds that were planted in their soul. Someone once said that when children are born, they are born with an empty slate. Now, uh, it's not a clean slate. The Bible teaches pretty clearly that we're, we don't start perfect and end up bad by the time we're two. We, we start With the impure human condition. So the slate's still dirty, but it's empty. See a dirty, muddy slate, but there's not a lot written on it. And we as parents have this awesome privilege and responsibility to write upon their lives. We write on their hearts. And we always do. It's either for good or not so good. Either for good or evil. We are writing on their hearts. And it is a privilege we have. And from the time your kids were very little... You have and had, have had the awesome opportunity to invest in them in ways that will make, potentially make a difference for the rest of their lives, for eternity. Our words, our actions, our way of life are like seeds deposited in their minds and souls. And when those seeds are holy and godly and good, they have the incredible potential to impact them forever. The Word of God lived through you, spoken through you, is powerful. Isaiah 55, 10 says this, 10, 11, the rain and the snow come down from heavens. By the way, let me insert, who's ever praying for snow, please stop. (laughs) Okay, all right, please. I mean, really. Yeah, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Yeah, of course. And here God makes the connection. Verse 11, he speaks prophetically through Isaiah. It is the same with my word. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. The word of God is powerful, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. God's word and his ways, modeled, taught, planted into the hearts of our children, will produce fruit. It will. Now, I need to tell you something that most of you have already figured out or you're wrestling with this. That is a truth. The seeds will produce fruit. The issue is whether they will embrace that fruit in their life or not. Does that mean that your children will always eat that fruit? Does it mean that they'll always embrace its life or its power? Tragically, the answer is no. They still have this thing called a free will, just like you do. And you can say all the right things and do all the right things and try to be the best parent you can be and your kids may still come to a point where they just go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm out of here. I reject it all. But what I want to encourage you with today is to trust God and to trust the power of his word and his life in you. To trust the seeds that you've planted in them. And then do all you can to water those seeds. Water them through prayer. Prayer. Water them through lots and lots and lots of prayer, asking God to work and intervene and to to work in their lives. Do all that you can to provide the soil of encouragement for those seeds to grow. You know, when people are messing up and they're doing stupid things, whether it's your kid, your spouse, your friend, whomever, it's pretty easy to get critical and negative and, you know, the nitpick and and to get in their face all the time. And there's a place for correction and, and admonition. Yes, yes, yes. But... One of the things that I think tends to happen all too often is that we get so focused on how messed up they are and all the things they're doing stupid that we become kind of critical and negative and we're not very encouraging in their life. I want to encourage you to find even one thing, one thing that you can say to them that will bless them, that will encourage them. Provide the soil of encouragement where those seeds that you've planted can grow because here's the thing, they don't grow in bitter soil. It doesn't grow in cracked, dry mud. It doesn't grow in a place where there's no ability and nutrients for it to grow. And so encourage them. Find a way to say to them, even when they're messing up and they're far from God, Honey, I still believe in you. I believe in God's plan for you. I still love you no matter what. Provide that environment for those seeds to grow. And then do all that you can to be sure that those seeds grow in the sunlight. S-O-N. Sunlight of God's unconditional love. We talk about this a lot around here at East Point because it is so important for us to understand that the love God has for us is a no-matter-what love. Romans 8, go check it out on your own. Unbelievable, unmovable, unstoppable love. God loves you no matter what. Now, does he like everything you do? No, but he loves you, and there's nothing you can do that's ever going to stop his love for you. In the same way, we need to love that one who's wandering. That that one has maybe even hurt us in the process. We love them with an unconditional love. We love them the way God loves us. And we cry out to God for a harvest of righteousness in their lives. I am very, very certain. I have no doubt in my mind that I am here today because of the investment that people have made into my life. And in particular, the people way back to my grandmothers. I, I did not know my grandfather, Bubna, very well. My grandfather, Cole, actually died while my mom was in the womb, so she didn't know her dad, neither did I, obviously. But both my grandmas, godly women. I mean, just godly, gentle, amazing women. I just loved them. And I don't remember this as a child. My mom told me this often happened. But as a little baby, I was the firstborn in my family, and they would hold me, they would rock me, and they would sing to me, and they would pray for me. My mom says, honey, from the time you were little, your grandmothers have prayed for you. And I'm sure both of them passed away when I was uh, in my late teens. And I am sure that for a long time, as they watched me grow up, and I was the classic idiot when it comes to, you know, being a teenager, I'm sure they must have prayed for me a thousand times. Oh, God, please don't let them die. Please keep them, Lord. Please protect them. Please I know you've got great plans for him. My grandmothers, I know they prayed for me a thousand times. I know my mama. God listens to the prayer of a mama. And I know that she prayed for me. I can't tell you how many times. And when I was far from God, I know my mom spent days, hours on her face before God God praying for me. And my wife, even when I was horrible to her and told her I didn't love her anymore and wanted a divorce, I know she prayed for me. Continue to stay faithful in prayer for me. I am here today. I stand before you as a man who is what he is in many ways because of the investment of others into my life. Don't, don't underestimate the power of the seeds that you've planted in them and pray hard that God will continue to grow them and bring them to fruit of righteousness in their life. Here's a third thing related to this. Number three, never give up on them or God. Never give up on them or on God. Waiting is hard. Anybody find waiting easy? It's not. It's not. Holding on to hope is a huge challenge. Patience and perseverance, they're not very common character qualities in our culture anymore. We live in a world with instant everything. And so we're used to pushing a button on the microwave and having a meal in 60 seconds. If it's a corn dog. (laughs) I know these things. You know, we're, we're used to instant everything. That's the way we're kind of wired nowadays. And so when we are forced to wait for a child or spouse or friend that made one stupid decision after another, and it's not just gone on for days or weeks, but maybe months or years or maybe even, even decades, it can be devastating to our hope. It can be devastating to our ability to hold on. But we must hold on. We must hold on nonetheless. And never, ever give up on them. I know a woman, her name is Mary, and she lives in San Diego. She's married for over 40 years to a man who was not only far from God, but he was vile and mean with her about anything to do with her faith. Constantly gave her a hard time, constantly verbally, emotionally abused her for being a Christian. Constantly challenged her and was just harsh with her and every Sunday she'd get up and go to church he'd try to pick a fight and was just 40 long years 40 years 4 decades until the day came when he had an encounter with God and became a Christ follower what would have happened if Mary had given up on him she didn't, never give up I know mom, we used to live for a while in Boca Raton and her Sue and she's got a son named Jake and Jake got messed up in high school and in drugs. And by the time he was 20 years old, he was a dealer. And he got busted. I don't remember, he was in his early 20s, got busted for drug trafficking. So he's a drug addict. He's a drug dealer. He's busted. He's thrown in jail. And she was devastated. Just, you can imagine, it's my son, it's my boy, and he's going to spend the next 10 to 15 years in jail. But it was in jail that Jake finally had an encounter with God, that brought about this radical change. It wasn't just a prison conversion. This kid radically came into relationship with Jesus, but Sue never gave up on him. She never gave up on him. I have some good friends of ours. We've known them for 25 years, maybe longer. That's a long time, in Portland, Oregon. And uh, they raised their kids to love Jesus. Their oldest daughter was raised in church. Went to Christian schools. They did everything they could and provided a healthy home. And and these two people love the Lord. They're not perfect, but they love Jesus. And when their daughter went off to college, she went off the deep end. I mean, just went crazy. She became pretty much the party queen of her dorm and rejected everything. And that was in college. And now about 10 years later, she's in her early 30s. She's still far from God. And is it easy? No, it's hard for her. our friends, her mom and dad. But they have not yet, never once, given up on her. Guys, again, I speak from first-hand experience. If my wife, my family, or my friends had given up on me, I'd probably be dead today, and I'm not kidding. The direction of my life, the trajectory of my life, what I was into, I'm pretty sure that I would not have survived. If they'd given up on God's ability to pursue, find, redeem a guy like me, I can only imagine what might have happened. But they didn't give up on me. And you know, from time to time, people say to me, Kurt, I, I really appreciate it. I love how real you are and how genuine you are. And I love how honest you are. And I love how grace filled East Point is. And, and I love hearing stuff like that. And I usually just smile. And sometimes I'll say, You know, it's, you know why? And they kind of look at me like, It's because I remember. I remember what it was like to be lost and then found. I remember what it was like not to deserve anyone's love. And yet they loved me nonetheless. I remember what it's like to live in a hellhole of my own making, and I was miserable and I was far from God. And yet to still have people say, Kurt, I believe in you, I love you. And they waited for me. They never gave up on me. You know, see, God's love and mercy are pretty common knowledge, but he's faithful even when we're not. That's the thing I want you to see. And that's what he calls us to do, to be faithful even when people around us are not. Hebrews 13, 5 says, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God said that. I am never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I am never, ever, ever, ever going to give up on you. And the promise of our Father is, I'm I'm sticking to you, no matter what. And that is the promise he wants us to make. If we're to be like him, we cannot give up on others. We just can't. One of my favorite stories is found in Luke chapter 15. And uh, there are actually three parables that Jesus tells there about uh, things that were lost, a lamb that was lost, a coin that was lost. And the third parable is about a son that was lost. We call it the, the parable of the prodigal son. And I'll, I'll just paraphrase the story. I, I love it. But it, the son comes to his dad, and says, I'm out of here. I want my inheritance early. Kind of unusual. Okay. The dad gives it to him. Son says, I'm out of here. Takes off. And he goes to a foreign country and lives a wild, crazy, radical out-of-control life, loses everything, loses all the money, ends up taking care of pigs. For a Jewish boy, not a good thing. He's taking care of, of, of swine, and he's wanting to eat what they're feeding the pigs. And he realizes, come to his senses, I can get, the servants of my dad's house live better than I am right now, so I'm going home. Suddenly, he came to this realization, I, I don't have to stay in this place, and I'm going to go back. But what he expected when he was going to return just to be a slave, a servant in his father's household. So he hits the road, and he's on his way home. And in verse 15, excuse me, verse 20 of Luke 15 says this. I love this. While he, a prodigal son, was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he, the dad, ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. I love that verse in this story of Jesus because it so demonstrates the heart of God for us. While he was still a long way off. What does that tell us about the dad? It tells us that he had not given up on his son. He was looking for, hoping for, believing for, expecting his son to return. And he didn't give up. The father—the only way he would have seen his son a long way off—is he sitting on the porch in a rocker with a cup of lemonade in hand, and he's staring down the road, looking for his son's return, believing that the day would come when that boy would come home. And he did. And then I love this picture of the son, the father thinking, "Ah, well, it's about time." No, not at all. He runs to him. He just he gathers up his his garments, his, you know, his long flowing robe, and runs, bolts for his son and hugs him, and kisses him, and embraces him, and welcomes his son home. That's the heart of God and never gives up on us, never give up on those who've wandered. Well, there's one more thing I want to encourage you with this morning, and uh, it's probably the one that for some of you will be the most important thing you can hear today. Number four, stop listening to the voice of the accuser. When that child wanders, when that friend, that spouse That person you love wanders. Don't listen to the voice of the accuser. And some of you sitting here this morning have been listening to that voice already. Even as I have been talking, you've been listening to the voice of the enemy who wants to demoralize you and derail you from God's purpose for you. You've been listening to that voice. It's Bad enough we got self-talk, you know, that internal voice that, man, I was a jerk. I wasn't a very good dad. I'm not a very good mom. We've got that self thing that goes on. But on top of that, worse than that, more powerful than that, is the voice of what the one the Bible calls the accuser. He's called that in the book of Job, but we see it in Revelation as well. Revelation 12. Here's what the Bible says. The accuser of our brothers and sisters, that would be us, who accuses them before our God day and night. He never gets, the Satan just always accusing us, has been, the end, he has been hurled down verse 11, they, that's us, triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They didn't triumph because of how great they were, because of their per- perfection. They triumphed by the blood of the Lamb, because of the cross. And the picture here is that the day is coming when the accuser is going to be finally cast down and destroyed forever. That's the truth. But in the interim, in between that time and now, he's still actively engaged in trying to bring... Disruption to your hope, to your faith, to your trust in God. He's always out there. He's that voice of saying, Yeah, you really, you know, Kurt talked about being a model. Boy, what did you model for your kids? Kurt talked about planting holy seeds, and you're thinking, Man, I, I, I didn't even know Jesus when my kids were growing up in my house. And you've heard that voice, and it's the voice of the enemy. <laughs> All right. Or the distracting message on the screen. (laughs) All right, stay with me. You know, I got to this point last night, and I was in this room, and I was running through this message, and the lights went out in the room. And uh, I'm not kidding. I'm not very mystical, but at that moment I thought, hmm, must be something pretty powerful God wants to do in your hearts. Listen to me. Listen. Some of you have been listening to that voice. And it has demoralized and defeated you. And you've been thinking, I'm responsible. I'm the one who's messed up. And if you stay there, if you stay stuck there, you will end up defeated. If you stay there, focused on your past and your mistakes and your failures, little or a lot, then you will end up defeated. And so please listen very carefully to me right now. Even if those things are true and you are a lousy mom and a lousy dad and a lousy friend. Even if those things were true, you don't have to live under condemnation or guilt or shame. Are you listening to me? You do not have to live there. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are in him, covered by him, covered by the blood of the Lamb if we're in relationship with Him, we do not have to live under condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You've been set free. You don't have to live there anymore. One of the reasons why we Christians love calling what we preach the good news the good news is because it really is good news. No matter what you've done or what you haven't done, no matter what you've said or haven't said, regardless of who you've failed or how many times you failed that person or how many times you failed God, listen to me. Listen, God can redeem and restore anything surrendered to Him. Can I get an amen? amen. Anything. Anything surrendered to Him, anything given to Him. Healing is His specialty, it's what He does. Only God can take a truckload of manure and and turn it into a miracle. It's what he does. In fact, it's what he delights to do. He looks at you and he looks at your life and he's seen it all. He knows it all. And he says, do not stay there. Trust in me. Believe in me and know that I can work no matter what. And bring about redemption and restoration. It's what God does. I know a woman named Sandy. And years and years and years ago, we met, and, and her story, I don't have the time to give you all the details, but let me tell you a little bit about her life. Up to about the time she was 8 or 10, I get the dates a little mixed up, but somewhere around 8 or 10, she lived in a house where she had been sexually abused. Horrible, horrible situation. Situation. She was removed from that home, put into the foster system until she was 18 years old. In that time, I think she was, had lived in 12, maybe 13 different homes in the course of those years, her teenage years. She never really knew what normal was. She really never understood what it meant how to be a mom or how to, to live in a normal quote unquote environment. And then at 19 years old, she was out of the system on her own, but she, 19 years old, she got pregnant out of wedlock the first time. And at 22, she got pregnant the second time and had another child. And she would tell you, I, had, I was clueless. I had no idea. I was messed up using drugs. Completely dysfunctional. Had no idea how to be a good mom or, you know, to, to her kids, to, to her li- two little girls. Fifteen years go by. Her oldest is now a teenager, and she gets pregnant at 15. And that's when I got introduced to Sandy because she came in desperation. Her friend said, look, you come with me? Let's go talk to my pastor. And she told me through tears how guilty she felt, how horrible she felt that now the cycle was repeating itself all over again in her daughter. She said, exactly what I did, my daughter's doing, and she's going to end up the same place, and I don't know what to do. She felt guilt and shame and remorse and was miserable. And I had the privilege, I had the privilege of looking Sandy in the eye and saying, sweetheart, it doesn't have to stay that way. Yeah, you've made some mistakes. We all have. Yep, yeah, this is a pretty messed up situation, but here's the truth. God can redeem and restore your life and your family. And she looked at me, she said, if that's true, then I want God. And I had the privilege that day of leading her a relationship with Jesus. Now, it didn't happen overnight. Typically, it doesn't. There's a process of healing that happens in our lives. But a couple years later, her older daughter, now with her own child, became a Christ follower. And not too long after that, her little sister, her youngest daughter, became a Christ follower as well. And standing up, getting married. If you were to meet this family today, if you were to know them today, you would not believe this story. You would look and go, no way. You were once a drug addict and had two kids out of wedlock and were messed up and your girls were, because you would look and say, no way, you they're like the Cleavers today. Some of you young people have no idea who the Cleavers are, sorry. <laughs> you would look and say, wow, I, I, that's unbelievable. I don't really, I, really, that, that happened? And you go, Yep. Look at what God has done. Trust me, if God can redeem and restore Sandy and that family, he can redeem and restore yours. Are you listening? If he can redeem and restore my life, then he can redeem and restore anyone's. And some of you are living under a cloud of guilt and shame, and it will not bring about the healing and the wholeness that you need or that your family needs. And I want to encourage you today, stop listening to the voice of the accuser. And start listening to the voice of the healer. Trust in him. Believe in him. Take your eyes off of what was and put them on him and his power to change you. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. And I'm going to do something right now. I've had a band come out as well. But guys, listen to me. Everybody's heads bowed and their eyes are closed. So I want to offer you a measure of privacy. And I'm not going to single anybody out. I promise you my intent is not to embarrass you at all. But some of you are sitting here right now and you have been listening for way too long to that voice of the accuser, that voice of the evil one. You've been listening to that voice of despair and, and it's been eating your lunch. It's been chewing you up. Some of you are sitting here and you've lost hope. You have struggled to believe. You've struggled to hold on. You've struggled because you've waited maybe weeks, months, years, maybe even decades for that one you love to come into relationship with the one you love with Jesus. And you're, you've grown weary in well-doing. You're tired and you're losing hope. And if you're here today and you've wrestled with guilt, shame, with weariness, with despair, You've begun to to lose your hope. I'm going to ask you, with everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed, I'm going to ask you just to stand right now, right where you are, because I want to pray for you. And you're standing as a declaration. Yes, God, that's me. I need you. Don't worry about the people next to you, even if that person next to you is the one you need to stand for. Would you just stand? Yeah, all over the room. Good. Just stand. What you're saying by standing is, I need God. I am desperately in need of him. I need his help. I need hope again in my life. I need him to touch me. In this place where I've grown weary, I need to hear the voice of the healer today, and not the voice of the accuser. Good. Now, everybody, just keep your head down. Let me pray for these that have stood. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us, that you care about us, that you see our agony and our pain and our angst. You see the sorrow. I look out across this room and I know some of their stories. I know some of the stories. I know some of the kids they've stood for. And I know, Lord, that they have wept. They have weeped long and hard. They have lost, Lord, sleep. They've gone without food. They've wearied themselves waiting for that child to return. And I know, Lord, they've beat themselves up again and again and again and again. And they've been, they've been hopeless, Lord, and demoralized because of that voice, the self-voice and the voice of the enemy. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would set them free, that those who walk in the Spirit are free from the past, free from our mistakes, that we can live redeemed, and we can live, Lord, believing in your, your ability to restore and to redeem and to renew and to bring back what was lost. That's what you do, God. It's what you do. And I pray that you would breathe again into the hopes of these people, that these dear people I love, God, breathe into their hearts hope again, God. <laughs> breathe into their hearts, Lord, faith that they would trust in you and put their eyes on you right now. And that the only one they would see is not themselves, not even their kids, not their fa- their spouse, not their past, but that they would see you. That they would see you. And that you are a father who loves them and cares for them, and that you will carry them and hold them. And that as you've never given up on them, Lord, now empower them to never give up on the ones they love. Give them hope, Lord. And breathe hope again into their souls, into their hearts. Give them faith, God. And then bring them, God, to this place where they can once again trust in your power to change. If you've changed us, Lord, you can change anybody. Show them that again, I pray. Give them that hope again, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. Father, all of us stand before you desperate. All of us, Lord, have come to the point where we recognize we can't do life without you. And that's why we came to you in the first place. We said, God, we need you. And so we all stand today. And our cry is, Lord, keep our eyes on you. Keep us focused on you. Keep us growing in you. And help us to become all that you want us to be so that we can see all that you want us to see. And do all that you want us to do. With your head bowed your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And you're here right now, you're standing in this room, or maybe you're watching online, and you realize, I need God. I need his redemption. I've messed my life up, and I need a fresh start. And if you're here today, you know that, and you want that, and you're ready for that, then just make this prayer yours right now. Just own these words. Father, forgive me. I have failed. I have sinned. I've messed up pretty bad. I've gone my way, and it's not a good way, Lord. And now today I come to you surrendering my life, I surrender my past. I surrender what I'm in right now, my present. I surrender my future. I give it all up to you. And I recognize I need you. I need a Savior. And so I confess my sin and I ask for your help. I ask for your grace. I ask for your forgiveness. I cry out to you right now, oh God, I'm the prodigal son. I'm the prodigal daughter. And I'm the one right now who's turning, running home to you. Now, if that's you In your own way, in your own heart, to say, Yeah, God, that's me. And then, guys, I want you to see, please see the picture of the Father. He's not sitting on the porch, he's running toward you. He's up, full bore, running to embrace you right now because you've chosen him, because he already chose you. Lord, give us that image, that picture, and bring us home. Restore us, God. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your grace. And I pray it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to finish one last song. Ushers are going to take the offering right now, and you can put those prayer requests or visitor cards in there. Let's give as we worship. I want you to sing this song as a declaration. Love this song. It's a declaration. Make it your declaration right now. Let's sing it. I'll come back and wrap it up.